Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. Frustration across the country as COVID infection rates increase and many wait to be vaccinated. We need to accept without partisanship that the current strategy is not working and we need to again be asking ourselves the question as politicians, as members of parliament, as um, political leaders at various levels of government, are we doing all that we can? Aaron O'Toole rejects the idea of a universal basic income. It's clear that the Liberals and the NDP are in a race to the left. Who can be the most extreme? On one hand, the Liberals want a massive and expensive new program to pay people not to work. And the Liberals shut down the inquiry into sexual misconduct allegations in the Canadian Armed Forces. The problem is that shutting down an inquiry echoes really a lot with the idea of shutting down uh, allegations or shutting down women when they make complaints. It's Tuesday, April 13th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Mark. So how do you read where things stand right now with regard to infection rates and vaccination rates across the country? I know it's different depending on where you live, but in the most populated areas of the country, in the largest provinces, I think there is a palpable frustration that we are more than a year into this pandemic. And we're at a point where in early spring, where I think a lot of people thought things were going to start getting better and actually they're getting worse. Yeah, it's all about what you're comparing and the numbers you're comparing to. And, you know, I noticed over the weekend at the Liberal Convention and yesterday a bit in the House of Commons, too, the Liberals are, say, quite rightly, the federal Liberals say quite rightly, um, they have exceeded the doses they promised in uh, at this wave of the uh, vaccine purchases, we are only really entering Q2, which we've all learned to uh, recognize as the, the government's name for for vaccines. The problem is, is that people are comparing uh, our vaccine rates to the United States, which are not good. You know, the United States is vaccinating way more people than we are. Uh, we are comparing between provinces. People 60 years of age, two weeks ago, were getting vaccine in Montreal, where it was 80 in, in Ontario. I think people are frustrated. They want to find some place or some, some mathematics that get them out of this pandemic uh, when they thought they would be, which yeah. was, we, we all thought things were going to be looking up in spring and things are looking worse in spring. Uh, Ford's announcement yesterday of, of closing the schools plunged everybody back to the same despair they were a year ago or last fall or beginning of January, which is that uh, no matter what we do, it just seems this thing is getting worse. So, are there different decisions that political leaders could be taking right now? I'm not second-guessing the lockdown decisions in Ontario and other places or, or Doug Ford's decision to close schools in Ontario and return to online learning. But is there, a, is there a, any different direction that the federal government or provincial governments could be taking right now? Well, the, the, 
the problem, I think, is that the, I, I have some sympathy for the provincial and federal governments in, in this one, too, is they're reacting to a virus. They're not reacting to um, a, a, an organized set of circumstances that can be foreseen. They, they really do have to make up things as they go along. And I, I do take the politicians at their word that, that some decisions are being revisited uh, because the virus is changing. The methods of transmission are changing. The, um, the, the whole thing is... Um, is forcing politicians and governments to move very quickly and sometimes uh, in exactly different directions. As we saw in Ontario, parents were reassured on the weekend that kids would be in school and a day later they weren't. And that's not just that that's not government incompetence that's government reacting to something is like a wildfire out of control. Right. So um, I I think we're going to hear up later about all the decisions that that probably should have been made and could have been made but i think right now we are in the middle of of something that is is really hard to predict yeah all right let's talk about some other big decisions the federal government has to make and that is in the context of next week's federal budget And uh, the Prime Minister has been meeting with opposition party leaders to talk about the budget and the direction the government's taking, Um, uh, likely mostly for the optics of that rather than the the (laughs) practical components of it. But Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, has said he rejects the idea of a universal basic income, which is something some people have been speculating, especially after the Liberal Policy Convention, might be addressed in the budget. What are you hearing about the direction that next week's budget might take? I think it is very much also a a victim of the stuff we were just talking about, which is they really wanted to do a recovery budget, a post-pandemic future budget. But you, to get to there, you have to be post-pandemic and some of the events are, are changing. I was talking to somebody in government over the weekend, they were working on the budget too, and they were, saying it was not a breezy exercise, that, that they're juggling these variants and the third wave while they're trying to make a plan for beyond it, which is not easy. Um, what we all expected was this budget is going to be an election platform. I think we understand now that we are not going to get an election this spring. Uh, I think that's one thing we can predict. And what the if the signals from the conventions that we've seen are any indication, we're seeing that the liberals will be trying for the new Democrat votes, of course, and be trying to sort of out NDP, the NDP, and that um, the conservatives will be positioning themselves as, as the people who would have spent their way more wisely out of this. So I think that gives you an idea of the larger frame of the budget debate when it comes next week is that um, everybody agrees we have to spend our way out of this uh, pandemic, but how we spend it out of the pandemic is the um, the question. I think we, we're hearing build back better versus build back right. Hmm. All right, let's talk about uh, the uh, committee that was looking into the allegations of sexual misconduct in the senior ranks of the Canadian Armed Forces, including the allegations against the former Chief of the Defence Staff, General Jonathan Vance, 
the liberals have shut down that inquiry uh, and uh, that line of questioning that was happening at the committee hearing. Um, And there are people who are reacting to this by saying that this is a reflection on the prime minister and uh, and they're raising questions about whether he is living up to his own self-billing as a feminist who takes these matters seriously. So what do you make of what's been happening? I know it's it's also a little bit procedural, uh, but what, what do you think about what's been happening at that committee? Yeah, it's important what's happening at that committee. I think the Liberals are, are, are trying to make a distinction, and we I think we've talked about it on this panel before, that they're trying to make a distinction between a military problem, a military culture problem, and a political accountability problem. And their argument for this, which I, I think only diehards would uh, would get, is that what we need to be focused on here is the military culture problem, and the status of women committee has been doing work into that. And that all these questions about political accountability, they argue, have been answered. The problem, as you identify, is that shutting down an inquiry echoes really a lot with the idea of shutting down uh, allegations or shutting down women when they make complaints, which is the story here, which is that 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 people that the people who have suffered at the hands of this culture didn't feel that they got a fair hearing, not just from the the military brass, but that the political people, the most feminist prime minister in uh, in Canadian history. Uh, was not open to hearing these complaints. That is, that's the story that um, is trying to be portrayed here. I think, as you say, a lot of this is procedural, but I think it's a real risk. It's always a risk in a democracy to shut down a committee, but the Liberals, the distinctions they're trying to make in doing this is, you know, this is not a political problem, this is a military culture problem. I'm not sure that that's going to get through, and I'm not sure it doesn't sort of add to the um, add to the whole cloud that is that is over this whole story. It's a very unfortunate and kind of a large, large story that um, shouldn't get lost in political games. And I would say that to both sides of the, the house. Yeah. All right. Very interesting. Uh, we are leading up to a federal budget, and there are. There are more developments to come on many fronts. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. I'm very concerned about the massive spending commitments made at the Liberal Convention, so we'll see what the Prime Minister has planned for the budget. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At National News Watch, C. Scott Clark and Peter DeVries argue Canadians don't need an austerity budget. They write, The COVID depression has revealed structural flaws in the economy, and Canadians want to know how the government intends to deal with them. The underfunding of health care, child care, income inequality, reform of employment insurance, and support for a green economy are some examples. Canadians want to know how the government will set its priorities in a sustainable fiscal framework. Should eliminating the deficit be a top priority, no matter what it takes? In the Monitor, Bruce Campbell argues, when it comes to the federal budget, the stakes could not be higher. Campbell writes, 
This budget will likely build on measures the federal government has already implemented to address the social, health, and economic effects of the pandemic on Canadian society. However, its overarching mandate must be to confront the social and economic inequality crisis laid bare by the pandemic and the climate crisis. Both are bound together. Will the budget put muscle behind the oft-repeated liberal real change mantra? In the Globe and Mail, André Picard writes the third wave has flipped the healthcare script in Canada. Picard writes, traditionally in Canada, there is a health gradient that goes from north to east to west. With COVID-19, the pattern has been different. The three territories and the four Atlantic provinces have put the more wealthy and populous provinces to shame with their strict, no-nonsense pandemic control measures. This demonstrates more than anything that political will and public buy-in matter more than resources in controlling the spread of the coronavirus. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Commons Transport Committee will hear from the Auditor General tonight and then from executives of Canada's major railways. This comes after the Auditor General found shortcomings in how Transport Canada monitored safety measures by the railroads. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, this evening, starting at 7.30 p.m., the Transport Committee will hear from Auditor General Karen Hogan. In her last report in late February, she looked at the safety of Canada's 75 rail companies, which transport $328 billion worth of goods every year. The number of accidents was up in the one-year period she examined, and she found that Transport Canada still hadn't assessed the effectiveness of the railway's safety systems despite many reports over the past 14 years recommending that they do so. Tonight, the committee will hear from Ms. Horgan, and then MPs will hear from senior executives of CN Rail, CP Rail, and the Railway Association of Canada. After that disaster, which cost so many lives in that derailment and explosion at Lac Mégantic, Quebec, rail safety is not an abstract subject for many Canadians. So, Mark, tonight's Transport Committee hearings could be interesting and important ones to follow. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will hold a news conference to speak about the COVID-19 situation. He'll be joined by Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc and public health officials. The Prime Minister will also attend question period before speaking with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and Green Party leader Annamie Paul in advance of the budget. Minister of Diversity Bardish Chagger will make an announcement for Waterloo, Ontario. Fisheries Minister Bernadette Jordan will make an announcement about COVID-19 response infrastructure for Nova Scotia. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will virtually announce support for green community buildings. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will take part in a fireside chat as part of the opening ceremonies and plenary of Globe Capital 2021. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will announce details of two new programs that deliver compensation for Canada's chicken, turkey, and egg farmers. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, April 13th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.